Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Euractiv Policy Dialogue: Farming Talks, Experiences from the Field. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based in Brussels, and I'm coming at you live from the Euractiv studios in the heart of the EU quarter. Now, we're here today to talk about the herbicide glyphosate. It is, as I'm sure most of you out there are aware, a controversial topic. It's one of the most widely used active substances in European agriculture, and is the world's most commonly used herbicide. But its approval in the European Union is set to expire in December 2022. Many people have concerns over its health and environmental impacts, and believe this EU authorization should not be renewed. So the battle has commenced with one side fighting for a reauthorization of glyphosate. And the other fighting to stop reauthorization. Now, in December 2019, a group of companies seeking renewal launched an application, and that formally initiated the renewal process in the EU. And since then, EU policymakers have been reviewing the pros and cons and all the evidence of reauthorization, responding to concerns over the health impacts of the substance, a subject on which the science is still murky. There are many voices in this debate, and today we're going to hear the perspective of farmers who have been using glyphosate. Many farmers say that if this widely used product were suddenly unavailable, it could cause them real hardship. At a Euractiv event last year, a cross section of members of the European Parliament from various parties told us they believe a full impact assessment needs to be conducted, exploring the consequences for farmers of such a change in policy, as well as a full implementation plan for any changes. They said such an impact assessment should look at the impact on food production, yields, and farmers' income for pesticide reduction targets. However, Not everyone is so keen on the idea of conducting such an impact assessment. Some campaigners have argued that EU impact assessments are frequently a tool used by industry to delay or frustrate policy changes, and that they prioritize the economic effects of a policy change over health and environmental effects. There are, of course, alternatives available to glyphosate, and today we'll hear more about whether those alternatives are really feasible. This is one of those long, ongoing policy debates in Brussels, which requires a really in-depth discussion of all the various aspects of this substance. It's a sub- subject I've been covering here in Brussels for a very long time. It's a subject that is emotive for a lot of people, and it's complicated. I can say that definitively after covering this for a very long time. Today's Your Active Policy Dialogue is being supported by the Glyphosate Renewal Group. That's the group that put in the application for renewal and submitted a dossier of scientific studies and safety information in June of last year. So let's turn to our panel of farmers and agricultural experts, who I will introduce now. First, we have Dr. Emilio Gonzalez, Secretary General of the European Conservation Agriculture Federation at the University of Cordoba. We have Max Schulman. He is a farmer, and he is Copacojeca's chair of the Agri-Food Chain Roundtable on PPPs. We have Pedro Gallardo. He is also a farmer and Copacojeca's chair of the Working Party of Phytosanitary Questions. And we have Karina von Detten, head of Portfolio Solution for Europe, Middle East, and Africa at New Farm, which is a member of the Glyphosate Renewal Group. 
So before we get started with the discussion, a couple of housekeeping notes for all of you at home. You will be able to ask your questions online using the Q&A feature in Vimeo. I'm going to go ahead and turn that on now. So you can already start submitting questions now if you like, and then once we enter the Q&A portion of the event, I will be reading out your questions to the panelists. An important distinction, you have a chat feature there and you have a Q&A feature. If you'd just like to make a statement, uh, put that in the chat feature that is viewable to all of the audience members. I won't be reading out any statements, so don't put that in the Q&A feature. It would be a waste because only I'm seeing it. Uh, uh, questions should not go in the chat. Questions in the Q&A. So statements in the chat, questions in the Q&A. Uh, also, you can continue the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag just below me there, hashtag EADebates. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. We're going to start with a short presentation uh, from Emilio. Emilio, I'm going to turn the floor over to you now. Dave, um, thank you for the invitation to share our long-term experiences on, on uh, soil conservation and conservation agriculture in Europe with you this, uh, this afternoon. I would like to start the presentation by addressing a key element and a very important issue we are dealing with in Europe, which is the soil degradation. In the, well, you can see that uh, it's in the news uh, and, and you, I would like to, to, to highlight that uh, for creating uh, one centimeter of soil, we need uh, 200, 300 years. So we should think of soil as a non-renewable resource. And how the degradation of soil starts? In the next slide, you will see how it, uh, how after uh, rain, uh, if it falls over an unprotected soil, some streams are created and then runoff process starts. And in the next slide, you will see if the, if the system does not change, and the practices do not change, those small streams turn into big gullies. Big gullies from where the sediments are carried out of the farms and you will see in the next slide uh, something that uh, unfortunately is very familiar to many of you, which are rivers uh, with brown color carrying a lot of sediments that in the end, in the next slide, you will see a satellite image where those sediments are in the, in the mouth of the rivers. They are uh, released into the ocean, into the seas, affecting the sea life. I think we all agree now, or, or you must be thinking that we are talking about environmental impacts, environmental costs, but also economic costs. And I'm bringing this slide here uh, with a very recent document by the European Parliament uh, uh, alerting uh, about the, the very high cost that the soil degradation is, is, is causing to Europeans, about up to 50 billion euros per year. And all starts, in the next slide, you will see that all start in many cases due to intensive tillage uh, practices that destroy the soil structure, that unprotect the soil, and uh, the previous processes are in place. You, you'll see in the next slide that even if the, this degradation might be perceived on spot, that soil is already leaving that, that, farm, that farm. So to rehabilitate soils and to prevent this to happen, we have conservation agriculture as a, a system that is practiced in, in many regions of the world, is promoted by the Food and Agriculture organization, and it's based on three principles. The first one is minimum soil disturbance, which in, in practice means no tillage. 
Then the second one is permanent soil cover, all the season long, and then uh, crop rotations and diversification. Through those principles, we are on the one hand preventing with uh, to emerge through if we leave a good cover, we are preventing pests and diseases by diversifying crops, and we reach a lot of uh, benefits. It's uh, the system is adapted to a lot of uh, different regions, agroecologies, and it's dealing with a key element here, which is the soil uh, organic carbon. It means climate change mitigation. There are studies addressing the importance of conservation agriculture to mitigate uh, uh, climate change. We also improve uh, natural soil fertility, helping optimize inputs in, in, in farms. We are also helping farmers to improve productivity and to deliver more ecosystem services in their farm. So it's a win-win for farmers, for the environment, and it's addressing the key elements uh, that are in the current European policies talking about the Green Deal, the farm to fork, the uh, EU biodiversity strategy. And in the next slide, uh, you'll see how, how it works in practice. Instead of plowing the soil, modifying the whole environment, we adapt the system to the conditions uh, with, a, with a new machinery by using uh, herbicides uh, to control weeds. And it's working in many European countries. You will see in the next slides uh, examples of different crops in different European countries. We are talking about uh, winter cereals, spring cereals, we are talking about sunflower, talking about cotton, we are talking about uh, legumes, chickpeas, uh, lentils, uh, maize, and you see examples, we have 4 million hectares in no tillage in Europe, but we also have uh, a lot of experience in, in uh, permanent crops, in woody crops. You see in the, in the next slide, uh, uh, well, we've been working in, in for, for more than 20 years in European-funded projects in the life in the life framework, and you will see in the next slide uh, olive trees, almond trees. We also have uh, can find vineyards, orange trees, a lot of uh, uh, crops that are adapted to the system. And finally, uh, regarding today's uh, topic, what's the role of glyphosate in conservation agriculture in soil conservation practices? Instead of using 30, 40, 50 uh, liters of fuel, uh, and, 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 and with all we've seen, it, it encompasses. We use, uh, this is the university farm, on the left-hand side, we've used 1.5 liters of glyphosate to control weeds, and at the same time, on the right-hand side, we've done three passes of, of tillage, and in the end, we will need to control those weeds, probably also with, with glyphosate, or uh, because it's, it's uh, you can see on the left-hand side, it's already ready for seeding, while on the right-hand side, it's, it's not uh, possible. So the role of glyphosate, it's somehow uh, uh, trying to, to, to reduce the use of other inputs and improving the soil uh, uh, structure, the soil health in European soils. If you are interested on the topic, I would recommend you join the next Eight World Congress on Conservation Agriculture, which uh, will be in, uh, in online mode uh, in Switzerland in next uh, June. So thank you very much, Dave, for this opportunity. I'm really curious to hear the perspective of the farmers here um, who have been using the product and, and uh, also had experiences with not using the product and to see if those, uh, those findings that you just presented there were 
um, found by them in their, their real life applications. So Max, let's turn to you first. Um, how is the use of plant protection products like glyphosate affecting farmers? Uh, and, and tell me, I mean, I alluded this a bit to this a bit in my introduction, but what might be the economic effects of losing Yes, <clears throat> thank you, Dave, for the question. And also thank you to Emilia for the presentation that you just did. I have been using the no-till system since 1992 on my farm. And actually what it started from is that uh, as a farmer, I started to look for new ways of keeping the, the ground and the soils in better shape, but also trying to have a little bit less time spent in the tractor. And this is what I found found through the no-till system. And then for sure at that stage also very fast, I did for sure encounter the problem with some very, very tough weeds. And for them, the best possible system was that in the autumn, after the harvest, go and take care of them with one spray of glyphosate on the fields, around 1.5 to 2 liter per hectare. Very simple, very easy. It's a time-saving thing. And at the same time, also, as the glyphosate, you can spray it up here in the north. I'm farming in Finland, so we have autumns fairly cool already at the time when the harvest has been completed and the weeds have started to grow again. We can say that we will be down at temperatures below 10 degrees. And with glyphosate, you can still at that stage also get a very good effect only with one spray. So it is a time-saving thing. It saves us also money. It is very simple in the way that once you know that in the autumn you will be able to do this if you're going to put there some winter crops. Or otherwise, since I'm also using cover crops on my fields during the winter time, then in the spring with a very quick and simple dosage if I use grass, I will be able to make sure that the no-till planting will take uh, the best out of it. So I think it has two things they have to do. It's time saving. That's one thing. It also saves the, the earth itself. I went from heavy plowing and then move, working the earth by harrowing a few times down to one pass with a machine where I would put both fertilizers, seeds and the cover crop down in one go. So I think that these are the main things that will make uh, very difficult if we will just from day one quit with glyphosate totally. Will make so, my life at least quite a bit more difficult and more time will be spent in the tractor on the field working okay, the soil. That's good to know. I mean, you're coming from a very specific area of Europe there. So let's turn to Pedro next, who's coming from a very different part of Europe. So uh, that's the case that, we're, that we have there in Finland. Pedro, what about you? What has been the experience of, of you and, and farmers in general using glyphosate? Okay, thank you for your question, Dave. Uh, well, first I have to say that I'm a farmer. I'm 40, 48 years old, but I have been in this sector in the last 25 years. I manage a farm in Andalusia, in the south of Andalusia. I live in the countryside. Um, my farm is two kilometers uh, far from uh, any of my closer network and also six, six kilometers far to the, to the town. I have to say that the farmers, 
uh, we uh, have uh, have a strong wheat uh, pressure treatment crops uh, and of course uh, in our yields um bigger now bigger pressure pressure of our treatment crops with the climate change this is something important that we we have a uh, look in, in last year and during the last 40 years farmers we have to uh, to rely on glyphosate as a safe efficient and cost as effort tool to control the weeds uh, and that's the compete with crops for water of course for light and for nutrients and also farmers we have to implement integrate uh, with management practices in our uh, course of glyphosate uh, um, um, plays a, 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 a key role uh, due its safe uh, effectiveness and it has an environmental profile. Um, with the glyphosate, uh, we have uh, been able to implement sustainable farming, of course, uh, like a, a system, like uh, Emilio said, uh, uh, conservation agriculture. Uh, of course, we have reducing the, the soil tillage. We have also uh, reducing the, the soil erosion or degradation, like, like Emilio said. And uh, with this very aggressive, especially in, in Spain, in my country, and also the CO2 emission and capture carbon into the soil. So, uh, due to, to be a product without any uh, patents, it's uh, produced by many manufacturers and in the world, and this cost-efficient tool is uh, to address the farmer's challenge with uh, the weeds. So uh, it's something that is very common to use in Spain, and we have a lot of experience about the glyphosate. Thanks a lot. I mean, yeah, those are two very different areas of Europe, right? So it's interesting to hear the, the similarities and also the contrast in terms of the different types of farms you're both managing. Um, so let's turn to Karina next. Now, you're coming from the perspective of a company providing these solutions. So what kind of difference are crop protection solutions, and specifically glyphosate, what kind of difference is it making for farmers? Well, thank you, Dave, for the question, uh, which actually takes us to, to the basics of, of farming, right? We, we heard about um, soil conservation, and sometimes I think we don't spend enough time in the, in, in the public eye on the discussions of what we don't do to Mother Earth because we're so much in the heated debate of, on, on herbicide use. Well, crop protection um, in, this, in this, let's say, basic approach um, is only applied by farmers when they need it when they needed to safeguard their yields and ultimately their income. And um, well, if, if you look at farmers, industry, um, policymakers, I mean, stakeholders across the bench, we all have a sincere interest that these um, products are applied as they are registered. Um, we are, we're committed in industry to develop um, products that are become safer and safer to, um, for operators like farmers, to consumers and, and to the environment. Ultimately, um, they're here to make um, life for the farms uh, easier. And it is um, difficult to imagine what life would be like if, um, if we didn't have um, the crop protection products for farming. Thanks a lot. So we've heard definitely a, a consensus here that it can make the life of farmers easier. Uh, and, but then, of course, there's the questions over the, the other impacts. Um, 
We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Karina, I wanted to follow up with you. So if we talk specifically about the policy angle here, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are in the middle of a process where the EU policymakers are deciding whether to reauthorize this. What are your predictions for glyphosate reapproval um, based on what we've seen so far? Uh, what are your predictions for timing? And what, if you dare, what is your prediction for the result of this process? Wouldn't it be nice if I had the crystal ball? Um, um, well, I think the timing you've mentioned, yeah, so um, glyphosate has been renewed until uh, the end of 22. And I, I think what I'm personally expecting is that this is a process which is being made very transparent. Um, it's, it's unique in its approach by the authorities, having involved a number of countries instead of just one country and a co-rapporteur member state to, to review. And, uh, and the industry has also lined up to really say, okay, we share all the data. Uh, we try to make this as public a form as we possibly can. Now, um, to, to predict how, how, it, uh, how it will end up is difficult. Um, I will, let me expose myself in that way. I, I, um, I, I sincerely hope that this will be a science-driven process where uh, huge amounts of studies, I think we're talking about 190,000 pages of studies that need to be reviewed, that, that they are really forming the base of the decision that will ultimately be taken. Um, we've seen in this pandemic how important it is that we look at science and not do a superficial political debate on left or right. Um, this, is, this is about um, making sure that we um, find um, a, a way to the end of this process that, uh, that, that gives the sound feeling and trust in authorities and process, which we really desperately need in Europe. Let me go to the farmers now. Um, when you have engaged with policymakers on this topic, how receptive have you found policymakers, both at EU level and national level, to your perspective on this? Do you think the policymakers are listening more to farmers, more to activists, more to consumer organizations? How, how heard have you felt during this debate? Max, let's start with you. Thanks, Dave. I think it's a very important question to ask, and it's also a very difficult question to really answer. But I think that at least in the beginning, we as farmers, we were not really listened to that much at all. People did not really see what kind of a benefit uh, the glyphosate really can do to the production of both food and feed. In a way, I mean, they just saw it as a way of... of uh, of doing it simple, easy, and fast, all these things. But now in the end, I think they have started to listen a little bit more after there has been raised quite a bit on the topic of, for instance, mintil, no-till, soil erosion, as we just saw quite nicely presented to us. And at that stage, people started to realize that, wait a second, if uh, we take away this kind of a very important tool like glyphosate from the toolbox of the farmers, we will see that there will be more mechanical weeding, there will be more ground worked, maybe not always at the best time, etc. We will also see that there will be more fuel spent on driving the tractors around the field. So people and the policymakers tended to start to, to li listen a little bit more. And then for sure, when you also bring in there the 
into the discussion that we are also talking not only about quantity what we produce but the quality that we will get out of the fields then they tend to start to listen a bit more so in the end at the time being in my opinion we are being taken more serious than what we have been in the beginning of this process will this be enough that i don't know that's interesting pedro does that mirror your experience I agree with Max Schulman. This is a very good question, Dave. Um, okay, I, I, we consider, I consider that policymakers, regulators uh, must take in account that con uh, consideration of all the farmers' uh, needs because, like Max said, uh, glyphosate is a toolbox and, and we cannot replace uh, our glyphosate in our toolbox for any other tillage, tillage during the year sometimes because it's impossible to enter with the tractor in the fields. And also, if we replace glyphosate with another uh, mix of herbicide, uh, sometimes it's not possible to, to, to mix this. So uh, uh, we, we suggest that the uh, regulators want to continue, they, they will need to continue providing uh, affordable and accessible uh, and safe food for European citizens. And we have demonstrated with the glyphosate it last 40 years. And this is, uh, must be consistent with the use of, of the science criteria. We want the criteria of the science, not ideological, political position. Um, uh, we have some great questions coming in already on Vimeo. Thanks, guys, for those. I'll be getting to those shortly. As a reminder, you can ask your questions on Vimeo using the Ask button. Uh, and we welcome challenging questions, so ask all any type of question you want. I will read it out. Um, so I want to go to Emilio next. So Emilio, you, you mentioned the benefits to farmers, and, and we've heard a lot so far about how the product makes farmers' lives easier. But for consumers, Maybe that's not a very convincing argument because they're mostly concerned with the, you know, the health and the environment and whether a farmer has an easier time of things may not be a concern to the average consumer at the, at the market. So tell me, what are the implications of glyphosate use for consumers, both the, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Um. I would say that the, the implications are the same uh, than, than other inputs used in, in agriculture. I mean, whatever, if, if I'm, I as a consumer, when I go to the supermarket and buy uh, whatever fruit, whatever vegetable, I'm, I feel safe because those uh, products have uh, passed the most rigorous uh, processes of health and sanitary uh, uh, administrations in, in our member states, in our countries. So the implications for consumers, I would say that, the, and, and I'm thinking of a review study uh, that was, uh, was published some years ago, that study I remember that addressed the good quality and the high quality of conventionally produced uh, uh, um, f uh, food in terms of, of uh, fruits, vegetables in Europe. It, this regarding the type of system that was followed in the field. So the, the point is that uh, uh, we, we should bring here the, the trust and confidence of our organism, published organisms that are taking care that whatever is in the supermarket 
is safe for us as a consumer. Karina, let me ask the same question to you. Uh, you know, you've explained how uh, it's making life easier for farmers. What about consumers? What should consumers think about the use of glyphosate? Well, I think uh, Emilio uh, put it uh, really in, in, in the right terms. It's about trusting the, the, the system that has really a very high set of standard to make sure that we are in a safe place for um, for us as a consumer directly, but also for the environment. And I, I think that um, uh, all in all, the the uh, the aspect that sometimes goes a bit hidden here, but I'm glad that it was raised by, by Max uh, and, and Pedro earlier. You know, in the end, um, our European farmers, they are they are working in a in a global market, right? Uh, and um, they're not just competing amongst European farmers with their produce, right? It's it's about being able to uh, to trade and, and export. And here glyphosate has an important role in, 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 in supporting the competitiveness of European farming. Um, it's, it's, it's a fact that, uh, and it has been mentioned by, the, by, the, by, the, by, by Max before, I mean, how, how often you, you go into the field and um, it, it's just, you, glyphosate as such is, is unique in being cost efficient, in being safe and allowing the farmers to, to work in a way that they get to the quantity and quality uh, which is required also by European consumers. Max, let me put this question to you. How would you respond to a consumer who says, listen, I know this makes life easier for you, but I hear all these things about glyphosate. I'm not so sure about it. And I would rather you do more work. And so I feel more comfortable. I mean, how, how would you answer a consumer to tell them why they should want you to use glyphosate? I actually get that question once in a while. I mean, you always talk with people around and some of them ask, why do you use plant protection products in general? And then very easily from there, it goes into the debate about glyphosate. I usually just say one thing that I said that first of all, I trust the science behind it. I mean, Europe is science-based. Your legislators are taking science-based uh, decisions. And glyphosate has been already for tens of years on the list of the tools and the pl plant protection products that I can use. So for sure, that's the first thing. I said that this has been tested. And there has been shown that there is no significant harm to the consumers and not either to the soils. The second thing what I discussed with them also is that what do you prefer more? To see that you have green fields all year round in a way, even just before the nice snow cover comes, that you have their crops growing. You can see that the streams and the rivers are more clear, the water. You don't have silts running off from the already worked fields. That might happen if you have some very heavy rains in the autumn season. So I think that at that point, they start to realize that, wait a second, but this is actually a very necessary and needed tool in many ways. I also discuss and talk to them and tell them as well that I do not go in there just every year, just and spray it every autumn. No, I go out there and look and see what kind of a weed pressure I have. And then I make the decision when to spray and how to spray. And I also bring up that if it is so that the glyphosate as one active substance would be banned, I would have to replace it depending on the weeds with two or even four different active substances that I can 
not apply at the same time in a tank mix. I have to drive at least two, three times out on the fields, and that might again affect the soil conditions by compacting, etc. So you get a lot of people that don't realize that this is really a tool that is being used according to the need, and also that it is based on science. That's an interesting point about according to the need. Pedro, how would you answer this hypothetical consumer? Yeah, just just to, to, to add, because Max has said very, very good question, uh, but glyphosate is a highly available tool uh, for farmers to produce as a stable uh, food for consumers. Uh, we have to remember, Dave, that in, in 1960, uh, the, 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 the incomes of, of the family for, in Spain for, for feeding, uh, they, they invest our, around 55% of, of the incomes in the family. Now, a family in only needs uh, to, to apply 13% to feed the, the family. So, Farmers have done a, a very sustainable agriculture in last uh, in last uh, uh, years, and the efficacy, the efficacy, safety, and affordable costs allow to farmers to achieve sustainable food production for consumers who rely uh, on farmers' activity. Um, I want to go to my next question. It, it's it's kind of related, but what are the implications of glyphosate use? for the environment. Emilio, you, you spoke about this a bit in your presentation, but uh, you, know, you talked a little bit about some of the environmental benefits. Are there areas of potential environmental harm? I would say that uh, the most important thing here is that glyphosate, a judicious use of glyphosate, is in place in conservation agriculture. The environment where glyphosate is applied when uh, farmers are doing conservation agriculture is much safer than a degraded land, degraded soil, where uh, pollution may happen if there is erosion, runoff, and so on and so forth. So, uh, and these implications are not only uh, due to uh, glyphosate, because if uh, farmers cannot do no tillage in case they would need to control a problematic weed, then the problem would be that they would need probably either use other herbicide, but many farmers would probably go back to tillage. And if they go back to tillage, those problems uh, of, of degradation, of water pollution, of carbon release from, from the soil, climate change mitigation will not be in place. So, so there are so many implications and we need to put in balance uh, that, uh, that uh, we are not talking about an isolated system. Everything is connected in the field. Even we don't know much about 60, 70% of the biodiversity we have in our soils. But what we know is the more utility, the less biodiversity you find. And this is the start of the traffic change. So, so there are so many implications that uh, connect positively conservation agriculture with the natural resources. And if for achieving all those global benefits, we are using 1.5 liter, 2 liter of glyphosate per hectare in, a, in an improved environment, the risk, I must say, Dave, Dave it's, it's very low. If all uh, uh, European agriculture was conservation agriculture, 
most probably we won't find uh, problems in water bodies we but but not only uh, chemicals also fertilizers and and other inputs that are applied in the in the fields Karina I have a question for you I mean we know that as I mentioned at the beginning this is a contentious subject it's something that has gotten a lot of public attention uh, over the past years uh, so I want to ask you do you think where do we stand right now in terms of public attention on this issue? Is it, is it growing? Is it lessening? What's been your observation of, of watching the public attention over time? And then also, you know, we know that a significant number of citizens have concerns about this substance. So how, how do you answer those concerns? How can you guys reassure citizens that glyphosate is safe? Yeah. So in terms of media attention, Dave, that's a good question, because I think everything has become a bit distorted with the pandemic being just all over the place. I still think that um, if, if there is one topic that draws a lot of attention and, uh, and consumers are really also interested in, it is glyphosate. So I don't uh, expect this attention to seed. And I personally, I also don't mind. If, if we can get this to a science-based um, uh, process and, um, and make evident uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, let's say, the effects of, of, um, um, of glyphosate-containing uh, products and uh, of, the, um, uh, of all the risk assessment that is being done by uh, the authorities, I think that should actually help to um, foster the trust that European citizens can have in authorities. For me, that's the only way. I mean, to, to engage in, in polemics about it won't help. And I'm, I'm really so grateful to the words from, from, from uh, Emilio and from the, the, the farmers here with me on, on the panel today, because they are showing some of the alternatives that would happen if you don't have it anymore. It's either other herbicides more often in the field or it's more tillage, yeah? meaning basically uh, wrecking the soil that, that we're talking about. So I, I think um, the more we, we can um, have this, these sorts of arguments that, that are more circumspect, you said, you said yourself, Dave, that, that it's, it's, a, it's a complex topic. Um, the more we can get that out into the, year, uh, in, into, the, into, into the air and for interested consumers to pick it up, um, the better it will be. Adding to the emotion in this is not going to help. Um, and um, yeah. Forums like, like these ones are, are initiatives to make that happen. Well, I think that's a good time to go to the audience questions uh, again, so we can have a full-on discussion about this. Um, and actually related to your last point, I mean, you mentioned that the, the farmers on the panel have uh, highlighted the, the risks of stopping to use the, uh, the product. So we have a question here from Lukasz Wozniacki. Uh, have any of the farmers in the panel stopped using glyphosate? If and if yes, what was their experience? So Max and Pedro, have either of you ever stopped using glyphosate? Yes, I can Max, take it. This is Max. Yes, for sure. Yes. Good. No, I mean I have stopped using it and tried tried to minimize it, and I could say that to stop using it did cause some serious change that I would have had to take in my tillage and, and in my planting methods. But by reducing the use of it and going more into this IPM, even deeper into looking and to checking what kind of a 
weeds I do have and then use the glyphosate according to that. That was the best solution. But when I stopped to use it for the two first years, it was fairly manageable. But then on the third year already with, uh, with no-till and with uh, planting, we I started to see that you have certain very tough deep-rooted weeds that did slowly, slowly start to actually take over more and more of the ground and actually hitting quite hard on the yields and also on the quality of the crops that I could get from the fields. But by, but reduction is possible, at least in my opinion. But for sure, you should never go and lower the dosage. That you should not do. Okay, interesting. Pedro, uh, what's been your experience here? Yes, Dave. Uh, my experience is uh, I can't uh, uh, forget to, to use the glyphosate because for me it's bitter. In, my, in, my, in, in, in the farming in, in the south of, of Europe, it's impossible to have a, an alternative uh, to be uh, profitable in our farming. Uh, first, because the prices we are receiving for our crops is all, almost the same and in, during the 80s. So we don't have better prices since, since then. And the cost, of course, of our input has increased. And, and if I make a tillage instead of glyphosate, I will uh, I will use around 150 or 60 euros more per hectare than if I use glyphosate. And also, if I use a mix of herbicide instead of glyphosate, this mix will cost me around 50 uh, euros more per hectare. But also, I have a problem. The problem is the water. I don't have water uh, from the from the city in my farm. I have water underground, and my 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 water is uh, limited. In fact, in summer, I have to buy water uh, from from a, a, a truck tank. So, uh, using a glyphosate, I use uh, around one one hundred and fifty liters per hectare of water. And if I use another combine of herbicide, I have to make two or three three uh, spray uh, application. And I will lose. I, I will have to use uh, six hundred uh, liters per hectare. So, Karina, I mean, it it sounds like it's kind of complicated to stop using glyphosate. Do you guys can you, do you walk through a farmer who needs to either pause use or wants to stop use? Uh, are you guys involved in that process? So, what we are definitely involved in is is in uh, uh, making sure that we have it first of all properly used. Yeah, very engaged in what I said earlier that it should be used as is registered. Also, the dose rates that uh, that Max mentioned earlier. But as a as an industry, we're also working on um, having having new products out there. So that could be new herbicides or alternatives. When we're talking about alternatives, um, uh, and my company is engaged in working with a startup, for example, in, in the electrophysical weed controlling, these are these are important things to uh, to seek for the future. But the truth of the matter is that they are not there yet. And today, I think um, um, the way the, the farmers have summarized it here, it's there's really no clear alternative that's that 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 is comparable to, to glyphosate. So um, yes, we are uh, alongside the farmer in this um, and uh, engaged in making sure that it's properly used and also, of course, working on towards the future. 
Now, Karina, you reminded us that this is a complicated topic. So, Emilio, I have the next question for you. I mean, you said that the risk posed to either uh, environment or health is quite minimal, but we know that there are some studies floating around out there that don't reach that conclusion, and that is the subject of Bill Grayson's question. Um, why, why do the many peer-reviewed scientific research papers that show the harm that glyphosate does to soil microbes, the question continues, why do you not consider these studies to be genuine science or any of the ones that show the harm it does to people? So we know, as I mentioned at the beginning, science is murky here. There's a lot of different studies floating around out there. How do you view the studies that, that have concluded that there, that there might be health or environmental harm? Well, I do trust science, so uh, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm disregarding whatever, whatever type of study. What I said before is that I trust uh, EFSA, I trust uh, ECA, and uh, of course there is, mm, there is always a risk in using uh, whatever type of input. Uh, but when it comes to, to glyphosate, I, I, I think that the, the previous revision of the, of the active ingredient, I think the, the general agreement within the public agencies in Europe was that there the was little risk uh, if it's used according to, uh, to the uh, recommendations and, and for, the, for the aims it's approved. Uh, when it comes to the, uh, to the effect on soils, uh, it, it may have an effect, but, uh, but what uh, we've seen in many, many countries, in many fields, is that the effect of intensive tillage is worse than, than that. And in many cases, studies, uh, taking into account that the conservation agriculture is applied in f roughly 4 million hectares in Europe, we are talking about less than 5% of uh, our uh, agricultural land. In many places, what we are uh, seeing is that it, uh, if those studies were addressed in conservation agriculture, uh, we are uh, quite sure that the results might, would be most probably different. I mean, we, are, uh, we should not uh, isolate the, the active ingredient. We should integrate the active ingredient but again, not only glyphosate, I'm talking about fertilizers, I'm talking about the rest of inputs used in, in the farm, uh, in the crop uh, production. And what I, I said before is that overall, the best way to produce in Europe, as it's in, in other parts of the world uh, already demonstrated, it's, it's conservation agriculture. We believe that uh, because, again, no activity has no risk in the environment. There is not, and nothing is 100% sustainable, nothing has 0% risk. What I'm saying today is that I strongly believe due to uh, 20 years of experience, due to experiences in 19 European countries, is that conservation agriculture deliver a lot of benefits that are aligned with the current European policies. Good. We have some more questions specifically on conservation agriculture. I'll get to those in a second. Karina, though, I wanted to also put Bill's question to you. How do you view those studies floating around out there that he's referencing uh, that come to a, a different conclusion? 
So as Emilio was saying, it's important that we allow the authorities to put all the studies together and come to their to, to their own conclusions. And in, in our case, that's EFSA. There are so many studies out there uh, and so many authorities around the globe have looked at uh, glyphosate and glyphosate containing products and have confirmed them being safe to humans and to the environment. Um, I, um, I can only rely on that system um, to go after one or the other and to say um, uh, I, I agree or disagree is, is not the right approach. This, this should all go flow through the, through the system, through the, um, the institutions that we have in Europe that, that do the assessment. Um, and if they do it properly, I'm sure it will come out safe again. Okay, we have a uh, next question here. It's kind of a compromise question. It's, a, it's an interesting one. Uh, sorry, that's not the right one. Hold on. Uh, so this question is coming from Gottlieb Basch. Uh, would you agree with a solution limiting glyphosate use in preceding application? So uh, as far as I'm reading that question, it would be you know, kind of a halfway solution here. Let me ask the farmers that. Um, Max, how would you feel about such a solution limiting glyphosate use in preceding applications? Thank you. Thank you for that question. I mean, you mean preceding in the way that you would be spraying it just before you would be planting. I think that with that, I could live at least up in the in the north. I could live with that. I would just have to pick uh, my cover crops in such a way that uh, they would then be able to manage them with some other active substance. So I think that these type of limitations could really easily be put in place. I mean, for instance, in Finland, of pre-harvest glyphosate use has always been prohibited. We have never been able to use uh, pre-harvest, so we are never spraying in growing uh, crops. So uh, we could for sure try to limit it only to the autumn side, but then for sure here we do have a small risk that uh, you would actually have the snow cover on the ground before you would be able to be out there with your glyphosate. But uh, that is uh, maybe then a risk that we just have to consider. So I think that I could live without a pre-seeding thing. Now you have to remember, the seeding up in the north is done mainly in the spring. Again, down in the main Europe, in the central Europe, you would be seeding more again than in the autumn. So here we also have a difference. Autumn seeding again, there I would like to have it. Because that's the time when I actually maintain and manage these difficult weeds. Pedro, could you live with that solution? Thank you, Dave, for the question. The situation in Spain is very similar to, to Finland. We, we never use post-seeding post uh, application, especially in the, in the harvest, in the time. We, we don't use this, uh, this uh, situation here in Spain. So we, we agree about the preceding, and, and but of course in, in general but don't forget that uh, for example in spain we have a an important permanent crops and these permanent crops that like olive trees orange almonds etc they need a, a application of glyphosate at least two or three times in a year uh, if you want if you want to to use a tillage or a mix of of, of herbicide 
Uh, glyphosate finally is a medicine of the plant and we have to, to trust on the uh, scientist criteria like we said before. Okay, cool. Uh, let me take a next question here. This one comes from Eddie Wax from Politico. It's a question for Karina. Uh, how does Karina explain that there are fewer members of the glyphosate renewal group now than last time? Last time, I guess, being the last renewal. That's a, that's a good question. Of course, I, I cannot answer for the, the companies that uh, have decided not to go into another round of defense. Um, what I can state as, as facts is that it is um, quite a big investment uh, to undertake to, um, to, to do these extra studies, to walk that extra mile in, um, in defending and making evident uh, uh, that, that this uh, active substance is safe. So it could have been uh, that as a motif. But uh, you know, look at the ones that are remaining. It's not just two or three. Yeah? We, are, we, are, um, um, we are committed um, um, representation of this industry um, to, to go through this unique process in terms of transparency and, and sharing results. And um, we will walk through it until the very end. Okay, so Emilio, I promised you some more questions about conservation, agriculture, and here they come. Uh, there's two questions here. So first, from an anonymous questioner, how do you sustainably manage glyphosate resistance in conservation agriculture? So that's a, a general uh, question. And the other one here is from Martin Tribu. Uh, what would be the minimum dose rate of glyphosate necessary in conservation agriculture? Uh, from Martin Tribu from CA Belgium. Okay, thank you for the question. The first, the answer to the first one would be uh, to manage crop rotations. I mean, what uh, it's uh, not recommended at all is uh, to do to grow monoculture in conservation agriculture. But if you, because if you do so, you will have uh, more uh, problems with weeds, and this will entail probably. Uh, higher doses of, of uh, inputs of herbicides and in the end it may turn into resistance. Uh, I must say that in our fields we we've, and we work with uh, farmers in, in, in Spain and other countries in Europe, we've never found uh, big problems with weeds and this is related to the next question as well because what we are doing is with this crop rotation and diversification together with a good uh, soil cover we are preventing uh, some weeds to emerge, and uh, we are uh, applying the 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 the, uh, the herbicide when it's needed. That implies one thing: that it it, it might not be uh, as Max was saying before. Maybe you don't have to be so uh, many hours in the tractors as you were before, but you should go more uh, walking around your fields because you need to identify where you have the problems in order to apply as minimum as possible, because in conservation agriculture, we try to optimize and we try to reduce as much as possible uh, inputs. Uh, the less we've used one liter per hectare, but taking into account that we've been uh, quite careful uh, with the weeds and taking the principles as faithful as, as possible. Okay. But this is just our experience. Does anyone else have comments about conservation agriculture? Yep, Max? So Dave, Max would 
Yes, thank you, Dave. No, I think uh, Emilio just said quite a bit of it, but I can tell from my own experience what the farmer does. And me as a farmer, what I do, I try to first of all go and apply the glyphosate at the best time and also when the weeds are at the optimum size so that you would be able to go there with the main, the full dose that in my area here would be about two liters per hectare. So you have to have the best timing. You have to know which weeds you have there. And you also have to have the full dosage so that you don't start to create resistance. Usually you don't need to go above two liters at all. I think that the in between one and a half and two liters is totally enough if you really want to have a good effect with one spray on the weeds. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yep, Pedro. With Max and also with Emilio, uh, just depend of wh what are you going to to produce. It's different if you if you make a winter cereal like a, a wheat or durum wheat, for example, or barley, or that in, in this in this case you need between one liter or one point five liter uh, per hectare. But if you if you are uh, producing some flour or any spring cropping in Spain, you at least need double uh, of glyphosate because you need to make application in autumn, um, maybe application before uh, uh, seeding. Okay, we have uh, another question for our, for our farmers. So this question comes from Mateo Gonzalez. Uh, does Mr. Gallardo or Mr. Schulman use other pesticides such as chlorpyrifos, chlorpyrifos, I'm not gonna pronounce this right, and or mancozeb? Uh, he goes on to say, those substances match the standards of the Rotterdam Convention. What's your opinion about it? Um, Max or Pedro, do either of you use those two other products? Max, yep. Yes, I mean, I think that, like we have said here before with Pedro as well, that we need a broad amount of uh, tools in our toolbox. So these mentioned uh, active substances are also in the toolbox and they will be used depending on which crops you are growing and also which weeds you are encountering during the growing season when the crop is already there and established. Since we do not have, at least up in Finland, we do not have any Roundup ready crops where you would be able to apply the Roundup straight in the growing crop that's why we sort to utilize other pesticides, herbicides mainly then in that stage. And also we need to make sure that they are also in the future in the toolbox. But some of these cannot totally replace glyphosate. Because for instance, if I, as a seed grower, growing grass seeds need to really clean the grass bed and all of these for the next grass seed that I'm supposed to put in there, I really need to make sure that I really have everything from the previous one destroyed so that I can go in and make sure that I have a clean bed so that I can really go and produce really high quality seeds out of it. So that depends a little bit on the usage. But yes, for sure, we need a lot of tools in our toolbox. Pedro, how about you? Yes, uh, as Max X, uh, said, uh, we, we need a, a bigger a, a toolbox as possible. Um, we, we, we want to, to have a scientist criteria, like we said before. And of course, if there is 
uh, any substances that is, is not good, because EPSA said that is not good, not a cr political criteria. We are, are agree to, uh, to, to stop to using this uh, substance, but of course, farmers need an alternative. What is not possible is to, to cancel one, one uh, system after uh, one system and we don't have any other solution. Like the core perifos in Spain, we have a huge problem because we don't have insecticide in, in many of our crops or for, for example, manco theft in, in many fruits and also uh, in, in east of Spain, we have a, a huge problem on, on that. So what we want about political uh, political politician is to have an alternative and of course the scientist criteria. Oh, oh uh, Karina, did you want to come in on this? Yeah, I just wanted to um, directly to the question from our viewers say that both of these uh, AIs, um, active substances, chlorpyrifos and mancosib, have recently not been renewed by the European Commission. So there is now a sellout period and, and an on-farm use end date. And that takes us then to the question that Pedro uh, uh, stated, that you need an alternative because these two tools from the toolbox will no longer be there. So other insecticide and other fungicides to take care of the diseases and pests. Okay, Emilio, I have two rather technical questions for you. The first one comes from Imantas Pranauskas. Uh, crop rotation is best implemented combined with rearing of cattle. What should be the recommended livestock density uh, for soil health? That's the first question. And a second question comes from Torsten Laubner. Emilio, how do you increase the acreage applying no-till and cover crop practices? Uh, four million hectares in the EU sounds small. So Emilio, those two questions for you. Thank, thank you very much. Very good uh, questions, both of them. Uh, livestock is always uh, something we Maybe in Europe is it, it's an issue, but it's even a bigger issue in, in, in Africa or in Asia. Livestock, uh, uh, as much as uh, you would like to have, but taking into account that we need to feed the soil with crop residues and we must take care of compaction. So it's not only the number, but also when do you, uh, you, you, you uh, take the animals in the in the fields. There is a threshold, and it's thirty percent, at least in the in the worst uh, case, at least thirty percent of the soil must be covered. So, um, depending on the on the number of animals, you should be moving them uh, in in the farm in order to allow enough residues to cover the soil and to protect the soil. 4% is too little, you are right. And this question comes in the right moment. I mean, uh, we know that farmers are very smart and they understand the policies very, very, uh, in, in a very smart way. With uh, the appropriate policies that we are, uh, we have now in, in, in Europe and what we are hearing about the, the, the future of the policies, I think we would have the, the tools to promote conservation agriculture as it's been done in other uh, regions of the world, where it, it uh, reaches up to 60-70% of the total area. If I would be the policymaker taking decisions on this topic, 
I would definitely make uh, uh, incentives to farmers. I would not, uh, I, I like uh, uh, rewarding rather than punishing. So I would reward farmers for their improving the carbon stocks. They are helping the whole society in conservation agriculture and uh, by uh, sequestering carbon in their soils. They are making uh, better uh, or they are improving the water quality because they, they are, uh, we, we limit erosion up to 90% and we reduce runoff up to 60, 70%. So we have cleaner water, we have better soils, we have uh, more carbon and we are uh, fighting uh, climate change. So we have a uh, um, common agriculture policies. We can think of investment uh, policies to support farmers to buy no-till seeders. And we can think of why not precision farming? We've been talking about doses. If people and, and policymakers are concerned about how much inputs are used, we can also suggest and, and, in, uh, and support farmers uh, to do investment in terms of wheat seekers, uh, green seekers that uh, apply, that are integrated into boom sprayers. And the sprayers only apply herbicide where there is, uh, in fact, a need not all the field, but only in certain places where the weeds are being developed. Did anyone else have a comment on uh, livestock density or acreage? No, okay, so I have a next question here. It's another question from Bill Grayson. Um, it's a question to our two farmers. Um, have either Pedro or Max had the crops they produce tested for residues of glyphosates? Uh, and uh, it goes on. Second question. Would you support the proposal for additives used in products of glyphosate uh, to also be safety tested? Uh, Max, do you want to answer that first? Yes, I think that was a very good question. Yes, first question, yes. My crops, I grow quite a bit of uh, milling oats in many different qualities mainly also uh, gluten-free milling oats. That means that it goes to mainly to human consumption, all of it. Uh, yes, that is being frequently tested then for residues, not only glyphosate, but also for other pesticides as well. And until now, there has not been any problem whatsoever. And for sure, as a farmer, I would always like to know that all the pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, whatever I put on, my fields, that they all would have been tested, not only the active substance itself, but all the other substances included in it. And I think that this is a thing that uh, I believe that most of the farmers would agree on right away. Pedro, how about you? Well, Dave, I think Max answered very, very right question. In my case, it's the same situation. We don't have any residues or any, anything in, in the crops. So the, it's a very different situation. Like my grandfather made an application in the farming in the 80s, in the 70s, than we made now. We have a lot of technology in a tractor. We have more technology in a tractor than in a car. Um, and we have we use we we try to apply only what the crop need because all these substances herbicides uh, insecticide fungicide are expensive for the farmers we don't want to to spend more than the necessary because it's expensive 
Karina, what's your, uh, do you have a response to this as well? Yes, I, I wanted to um, get come to that point, uh, which I think is an important one uh, on on testing the products. And I can I can only echo what Max said. You know, you 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 want the products to be to be checked for 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 their safety. Um, but let's not forget that in the in the European relatively complex and long um, registration and renewal process, we have the active substance comp um, part. And then we also have the, the formulations and product registrations, with, which, which are then picked up on a national level. And oftentimes we have uh, additional studies and work that are that, that is being done um, to, to um, underpin the, safetiness, uh, the safety of, of the products in that second part of the process. And, uh, and furthermore, there are pieces of legislation out there um, or currently in revision um, to have, have um, the barriers um, really according to the state-of-the-art science uh, when it comes to so-called coformulants and the microplastics. So if you put all of this together, I come back to what was uh, uh, stated at the beginning of, of, uh, of our webinar. Um, the, the European system with its uh, authorities, they are really doing a circumspect uh, safety check on not only the active substances, but also on the products. Good. Well, we have a last question here from the audience. Uh, I'm going to put this to Emilio. It's kind of a counterfactual. Um, do you think that if glyphosate was invented today, that it would pass regulatory approval? Emilio, what do you think? I'm not working at EFSA, I must say, but uh, EFSA approved it uh, uh, recently. So I... I, I I saying again, I trust uh, scientific studies. I trust uh, the European public uh, authorities. And if it uh, passed uh, two years ago, it's been used for 40 years. Um, I, I, my suggestion would be trust in science. And uh, my opinion, my personal opinion is that uh, most probably if we, if we, uh, take into account benefits and the scientific studies uh, in place, most probably yes. But as you were mentioning at the beginning, who knows what uh, will happen, but uh, I hope it, uh, it will be approved again. It's true. It's kind of like the crystal ball question I put to Karina at the beginning. Um, let's go to our, our final concluding remarks now. I'm going to start with Karina. Um, Karina, what are your key takeaways from today's conversation? Well, I think, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity and, and uh, for, for having some, some testimonies out here, people who are really in the field and have so much experience with the, with the substance as such. For me, um, if, if we could come across with some aspects that are sometimes not so much in the focus when it comes to media attention, like the aspect of tillage, like the aspect of being competitive in terms of farming in Europe, that would already be helpful. And then this, this plea to have trust in, in, in our authorities and, and in the science-based uh, review of this um, active substance. Pedro, let's go to you next. What are your concluding thoughts as we wrap up? Yes, thank you, Dave. Uh, for me, I think this, this debate is very useful because in, in last time, we think that uh, farmers 
haven't been in the center of the debate. The decisions are taken by politicians, but with very, uh, very uh, lot of lobby, uh, environmental lobby. And in this case, we need to 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 listen the farmer. So I, I thank you for for the opportunity. And um, for 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 me, like a farmer, uh, glyphosate actually is vital because without the glyphosate, I don't have alternative to continue producing in the same level. And remember that we have to increase our production around uh, 50 or 70 percent to feed the population in the 2100. So. We need to continue increasing the, 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 the production. And in this case, the glyphosate is vital for, for farmers. Max, what are your key takeaways from today's discussion? Yes, thank you, Dave. And I think it was very, very important that uh, this uh, how would I say, discussion was done together with uh, farmers from two different regions in Europe. Uh, you can still see that we have here the same type of challenges, even if you are farming far south or far north. But my key takeaway from here is, and maybe also for the audience, that we really need a very strong science-based decision on glyphosate today, but on other active substances tomorrow, so that we also in the future can actually be able to provide you, the European citizen, with the high quality food that you are used to, without really going in and blend too much politics into it. And also, I think that it's important to have these kind of open debates so that the broader public will actually hear how we are using it as a tool on the farms. And I think this was a good opportunity to do that. And finally, Emilio, what are your concluding thoughts? Thank you and uh, for being the last one. So I've had some time to think about it. I would say that soil is non, a non-renewable resource. I would like people take this takeaway message. The, the soil we are losing today won't be recovered in the next century. The cost of a degradation is a lot of in, in terms of environmental issues, but also in terms of economic, it's 50 billion uh, euro a year, according to the European Parliament. If we, do, if we are not paying that full bill, next generations will do it. And we have conservation agriculture in many European countries. It's, uh, it's uh, not well spread yet. We have an opportunity now, and I would say that uh, the most important uh, resource we have uh, is soil. Without soil, we cannot do anything, and time is running. So glyphosate is a big issue, but soil is a bigger one indeed. I think that is very, very true and probably a good note to end on. I want to thank our panelists for uh, a great discussion. I certainly learned a lot, and I also want to thank our audience for some really, really good probing questions. Um, I think it's great that this discussion is happening, and of course, this is a very live issue uh, that here at Your Active, uh, Your Active is following this very, very closely, and of course, we'll bring you all the updates. As we see, we don't have a crystal ball either, so we will see what happens with this, but it's a very interesting subject to follow. Uh, so thank you to the panelists, thank you to everyone at home for watching, and I wish you a great rest of your afternoon.